Chapter Thirty Eight, Part Two of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Geology by Charles Lydell. Chapter Thirty Eight Laws Which Regulate the Geographical Distribution of Species. Continued. Part Two. Drifting of Animals on Ice Flows The power of the terrestrial mammalia to cross the sea is very limited, and it was before stated that the same species is scarcely ever common to districts widely separated by the ocean. If there be some exceptions to this rule, they generally admit of explanation, for there are natural means whereby some animals may be floated across the water, and the sea may, in the course of ages, where a wide passage through a neck of land, leaving individuals of a species on each side of the new channel. Polar bears are known to have been frequently drifted on the ice from Greenland to Iceland. They can also swim to considerable distances, for Captain Parry, on the return of his ships through Barrow's Straits, met with a bear swimming in the water about midway between the shores, which were about forty miles apart, and where no ice was in sight. Near the east coast of Greenland, observed Scoresby, there have been seen on the ice in such quantities that they were compared to flocks of sheep on a common, and they are often found on field ice, above two hundred miles from the shore. Wolves, in the Arctic regions, often venture upon the ice near the shore, for the purpose of preying upon young seals which they surprise when asleep. When these ice floes get detached, the wolves are often carried out to sea, and though some may be drifted to islands or continents, the greater part of them perish, and have been often heard in this situation howling dreadfully as they die by famine. During the short summer which visits Melville Island, various plants push forth their leaves and flowers the moment the snow is off the ground, and form a carpet spangled with the most lively colors. These secluded spots are reached annually by herds of musk oxen and reindeer, which travel immense distances over dreary and desolate regions to graze undisturbed on these luxuriant pastures. The reindeer often pass along in the same manner, by the chain of these Aleutian Islands, from Bering Strait to Kamachka, subsisting on the moss found in these islands during the passages. But the musk-ox, notwithstanding its migratory habits, and its long journeys over the ice, does not exist either in Asia or Greenland. On floating islands of driftwood. Within the tropics there are no ice flows, but, as if to compensate for that mode of transportation, there are floating islets of matted trees, which are often borne along through considerable spaces. These are sometimes seen sailing at the distance of fifty or a hundred miles from the mouth of the Ganges, with living trees standing erect upon them. The Amazon, the Congo, and the Orinoco also produce these verdant rafts, which are formed in the manner already described when speaking of the great raft of the Achafalia, an arm of the Mississippi, where a natural bridge of timber, ten miles long and more than two hundred yards wide, existed for more than forty years, supporting a luxuriant vegetation, and rising and sinking with the water which flowed beneath it. On these green isles of the Mississippi, observes Maltbrun, young trees take root, and the pistia and nenuphar display their yellow flowers. Serpents, birds, and the caiman alligator come to repose there, and all are sometimes carried to the sea and engulfed in its waters. Spix and Martius relate that, during their travels in Brazil, they were exposed to great danger while ascending the Amazon in a canoe 
from the vast quantity of driftwood constantly propelled against them by the current, so much so that their safety depended on the crew being always on the alert to turn aside the trunks of trees with long poles. The tops alone of some trees appeared above water. Others had their roots attached to them with so much soil that they might be compared to floating isles. On these, say the travelers, we saw some very singular assemblages of animals, pursuing peacefully their uncertain way in strange companionship. On one raft were several grave-looking storks, perched by the side of a party of monkeys, who made comical gestures and burst into loud cries on seeing the canoe. On another was seen a number of ducks and divers, sitting by a group of squirrels. Next came down, upon the stem of a large rotten cedar tree, an enormous crocodile, by the side of a tiger-cat, both animals regarding each other with hostility and mistrust, but the Saurian being evidently most at his ease, as conscious of his superior strength. Similar green rafts, principally composed of canes and brushwood, are called camelotes on the piranha in South America, and they are occasionally carried down by inundations, bearing on them the tiger, caiman, squirrels, and other quadrupeds, which are said to be always terror-stricken on their floating habitation. Though less than four tigers, pumas, were landed in this manner in one night in Montevideo, latitude 35 south, to the great alarm of the inhabitants, who found them prowling about the streets in the morning. In a memoir lately published, a naval officer relates that, as he returned from China by the eastern passage, he fell in, among the Moluccas, with several small floating islands of this kind, covered with mangrove trees interwoven with underwood. The trees and shrubs retained their verdure, receiving nourishment from a stratum of soil which formed a white beach round the margin of each raft, where it was exposed to the washing of the waves and the rays of the sun. The occurrence of soil in such situations may easily be explained, for all the natural bridges of timber which occasionally connect the islands of the Ganges, Mississippi, and other rivers, with their banks, are exposed to floods of water, densely charged with sediment. Captain W. H. Smith informs me that when cruising in the Cornwallis amidst the Philippine Islands, he has more than once seen, after those dreadful hurricanes called typhoons, floating masses of wood, with trees growing upon them, and ships have sometimes been in eminent peril, as often as these islands were mistaken for terra firma, when, in fact, they were in rapid motion. It is highly interesting to trace, in imagination, the effects of the passage of these rafts from the mouth of a large river to some archipelago, such as those in the South Pacific, raised from the deep, in comparatively modern times, by the operations of the volcano and the earthquake, and the joint labors of coral animals and testacea. If a storm arise, and the frail vessel be wrecked, still many a bird and insect may succeed in gaining, by flight, some island of the newly formed group, while the seeds and berries of herbs and shrubs, which fall into the waves, may be thrown upon the strand. But if the surface of the deep be calm, and the rafts are carried along by a current, or wafted by some slight breath of air fanning the foliage of the green trees, it may arrive, after a passage of several weeks, at the bay of an island, into which its plants and animals may be poured out as from an ark, and thus a colony of several hundred new species may at once be naturalized. The reader should be reminded that I merely advert to the transportation of these rafts as of an extremely rare and accidental occurrence, but it may account, in tropical countries, for some of the rare exceptions to the general law of the confined range of mammiferous species. Migrations of the Cetacea Many of the Cetacea, the whales of the northern seas, for example, are found to desert one tract of the sea, 
and to visit another very distant, when they are urged by want of food or danger. The seals also retire from the coast of Greenland in July, return again in September, and depart again in March, to return in June. They proceed in great droves northward, directing their course where the sea is most free of ice, and are observed to be extremely fat when they set out on this expedition, and very lean when they come home again. Species of the Mediterranean, Black Sea, and Caspian, identical. Some naturalists have wondered that the sea calves, dolphins, and other marine mammalia of the Mediterranean and Black Sea should be identical with those found in the Caspian, and among other fanciful theories, they have suggested that they may dive through subterranean conduits, and thus pass from one sea into the other. But as the occurrence of wolves and other noxious animals, on both sides of the British Channel, was adduced, by Verstegen and Schmarrest, as one of many arguments to prove that England and France were once united, so the correspondence of the aquatic species of the inland seas of Asia with those of the Black Sea tend to confirm the hypothesis, for which there are abundance of independent geological data, that those seas were connected together by straits at no remote period in the Earth's history. Geographical Distribution and Migrations of Birds I shall now offer a few observations on some of the other divisions of the animal kingdom. Birds, notwithstanding their great locomotive powers, form no exception to the general rules already laid down. But in this class, as in plants and terrestrial quadrupeds, different groups of species are circumscribed within definite limits. We find, for example, one assemblage in the Brazils, another in the same latitudes in Central Africa, another in India, and a fourth in New Holland. Of 26 different species of land birds found in the Galapagos Octobalago, all, with the exception of one, are distinct from those inhabiting other parts of the globe. And in other archipelagos, a single island sometimes contains the species found in no other spot on the whole earth, as is exemplified in some of the parrot tribes. In this extensive family, which are, with few exceptions, inhabitants of tropical regions, the American group has not one in common with the African, nor either of these with the parrots of India. Another illustration is afforded by that minute and beautiful tribe, the hummingbirds, the whole of them are, in the first place, peculiar to the New World, but some species are confined to Mexico, while others exist only in some of the West India Islands, and have not been found elsewhere in the Western Hemisphere. Yet there are species of this family which have a vast range, as Atrocolus flammiforns, or Melisuga kinji, which is found over a space of 2,500 miles on the west coast of South America, from the hot dry country of Lima to the humid forests of Tierra del Fuego. Captain King, during his survey in the years 1826-30, to 30, found this bird at the Straits of Magellan in the month of May, the depth of winter, sucking the flowers of a large species of fuchsia, then in bloom in the midst of a shower of snow. The ornithology of our own country affords one well-known and striking exemplification of the law of a limited specific range, for the common grouse, Tetrascotius, occurs nowhere in the known world except in the British Isles. Some species of the vulture tribe are said to be cosmopolites, and the common wild goose, Anser Laceus, Lynn, if we may believe some ornithologists, is a general inhabitant of the globe, being met with from Lapland to the Cape of Good Hope, frequent in Arabia, Persia, China, and Japan, and in the American continent from Hudson's Bay to South Carolina. An extraordinary range has also been attributed to the nightingale, which extends from Western Europe to Persia, and still further. In a work entitled Specio Comparatabio, by Charles Bonaparte, 
many species of birds are enumerated as common to Rome and Philadelphia. The greater part of these are migratory, but some of them, such as the long-eared owl, Strix autis, are permanent in both countries. The correspondence of the ornithological fauna of the eastern and western hemispheres increases considerably, as might have been anticipated, in high northern latitudes. Their facilities of diffusion. In parallel zones of the northern and southern hemispheres, a great general correspondence of form is observable, both in the aquatic and terrestrial birds, but there is rarely any specific identity, and this phenomenon is truly remarkable, when we recollect the readiness with which some birds, not gifted with great powers of flight, shift their quarters to different regions, and the facility with which others, possessing great strength of wing, perform their aerial voyage. Some migrate periodically from high latitudes, to avoid the cold of winter, and the accompaniment of cold, scarcity of insects and vegetable food. Others, it is said, for some particular kinds of nutriment, required for rearing their young. For this purpose, they often traverse the ocean for thousands of miles, and recross it at other periods with equal security. Periodical migrations, no less regular, are mentioned by Humboldt, of many American waterfowl, from one part of the tropics to another, in a zone where there is the same temperature throughout the year. Immense flights of ducks leave the valley of the Orinoco, when the increasing depths of its waters and the flooding of its shore prevent them from catching fish, insects, and aquatic worms. They then betake themselves to the Rio Negro and Amazon, having passed from the eighth and third degrees of north latitude to the first and fourth of south latitude, directing their course south-southeast. In September, when the Orinoco decreases and re-enters its channel, these birds return northward. The insectivorous swallows which visit our island would perish during winter if they did not annually repair to warmer climes. It is supposed that in these aerial excursions the average rapidity of their flight is no less than fifty miles an hour, so that, when aided by the wind, they soon reach warmer latitudes. Spallanzani calculated that the swallow can fly at the rate of ninety-two miles an hour, and conceived that the rapidity of the swift might be three times greater. The rate of flight of the eider duck, Anus multissima, is said to be ninety miles an hour, and Bachman says that the hawk, wild pigeon, Colomba migratoria, and several species of wild ducks in North America fly at the rate of 40 miles an hour, or nearly a thousand miles in 24 hours. When we reflect how easily different species, in a great lapse of ages, may be each overtaken by gales and hurricanes, and abandoning themselves to the tempest be scattered at random throughout various regions of the Earth's surface, where the temperature of the atmosphere, the vegetation, and the animal productions might be suited to their wants, we shall be prepared to find some species capriciously distributed, and to be sometimes unable to determine the native countries of each. Captain Smith informs me that when engaged in his survey of the Mediterranean, he encountered a gale in the Gulf of Lyon, at the distance of between twenty and thirty leagues from the coast of France, which bore along many land birds of various species, some of which alighted on the ship, while others were thrown with violence against the sails. In this manner islands become tenanted by species of birds inhabiting the nearest mainland. Geographical Distribution and Dissemination of Reptiles A few facts respecting the third great class of vertebrated animals will suffice to show that the plan of nature in regard to their location on the globe is perfectly analogous to that already exemplified in other parts of the organic creation, and has probably been determined by similar causes. Habitations of Reptiles Of the great saurians, the gavials which inhabit the Ganges differ from the caiman of America, or the crocodile of the Nile. The monitor of New Holland is specifically distinct from the Indian species. 
these latter, again, from the African, and all from their cogeners in the New World. So in regard to snakes, we find the boa of America represented by the python, a different, though nearly allied genus, in India. America is the country of the rattlesnake, Africa of the cerastus, and Asia of the hooded snake, or cobra di capolo. The amphibious genera siren and monopama belong to North America, possessing both lungs and gills, and respiring at pleasure either air or water. The only analogous animal of the old world is the Proteus agoneus of the lakes of Lower Canolia, and the grotto of Ellsberg between Trieste and Vienna. There is a legend that St. Patrick expelled all reptiles from Ireland, and certain it is that none of the three species of snakes common in England, nor the toad, have been observed there by naturalists. They have our common frog and our water newt, and according to Ray, quad 264, the green lizard, Lacerta veridis. Migrations of the Larger Reptiles The range of the large reptiles is, in general, quite as limited as that of some orders of the terrestrial mammalia. The great Sarians sometimes cross a considerable tract in order to pass from one river to another, but their motions by land are generally slower than those of quadrupeds. By water, however, they may transport themselves to distant situations more easily. The larger alligator of the Ganges sometimes descends beyond the brackish waters of the delta into the sea, and in such cases it might chance to be drifted away by a current, and survive till it reached a shore at some distance, but such casualties are probably very rare. Turtles migrate in great droves from one part of the ocean to another during the ovipositing season, and they find their way annually to the island of Ascension, from which the nearest land is about 800 miles distance. Dr. Fleming mentions that an individual of the hawksbill turtle, Chelonia imbricata, so common in the American seas, has been taken at Papa Store, one of the West Zetland Islands, and according to Sibold, the same animal came into Orkney. Another was taken, in 1774, in the Severn, according to Turton. Two instances also, of the occurrence of the leathern tortoise, C. cordiatia, on the coast of Cornwall, in 1756, are mentioned by Borlase. These animals of more southern seas can be considered only as stragglers, attracted to our shores during uncommonly warm seasons by an abundant supply of food, or carried by the Gulf Stream, or driven by storms to high latitudes. Some of the smaller reptiles lay their eggs on aquatic plants, and these must often be borne rapidly by rivers, and conveyed to distant regions in a manner similar to the dispersion of seeds before adverted to. But that the larger ophidians may be themselves transported across the seas, is evident from the following most interesting account of the arrival of one at the island of St. Vincent. It is worthy of being recorded, says Mr. Gilding, that a noble species of the boa constrictor was lately conveyed to us by the currents, twisted round the trunk of a large sound cedar tree, which had probably been washed out of the bank by the floods of some great South American river, while its huge folds hung on the branches as it waited for its prey. The monster was fortunately destroyed after killing a few sheep, and his skeleton now hangs before me in my study, putting me in mind how much reason I might have had to fear in my future rambles through the forests of St. Vincent, had this formidable reptile been a pregnant female and escaped to a safe retreat. End of chapter 38, part 2. Recording by Todd.